Welcome back to the Bad Face Consulting Podcast presented by Native Hope. This is Brandon Ekafee, your co-host and founder of Bad Face Consulting. I'm solo this week as Ray is out on the West Coast recruiting sponsors for Season 2 of the podcast. In this week's episode, we talk with Wheezy Little Elk, CEO of the Rosebud Economic Development Corporation. Wheezy is one of the premier minds out there on building sustainable economies in reservation communities. We talk about tribal governance, we talk about tribal constitutions, we talk about marijuana legalization, the pros and cons of it, all kinds of things pertaining to building businesses in Indian country. It's going to be a pretty good show. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors, Native Hope Media, the Rosebud Economic Development Corporation, Wopula Consulting LLC, the Pine Ridge Trading Company, the Pine Ridge Area Chamber of Commerce, and the Native Governance Center. Right now, the Native Governance Center is seeking out applicants for its next cohort of Native Nation Rebuilders. The Rebuilder program offers leadership training as well as educational opportunities on tribal governance to local leaders. I was a rebuilder. It was a great program. It was a great experience. Um, A lot of smart people I know were rebuilders. Travis Albers, um, Kevin Killer, Tepeziwe Holman, um, lots of good people been through it, learned a lot of cool things, and took some new skills back to their community. If you're interested, please visit the Native Covenant Center on Facebook to find out how you can apply. I hope you enjoy the show. Catch you next week. Here, John. I do interviews every week with different types of guests, anywhere from psychologists to healers to business people to environmentalists, experts on the criminal justice system, and fear always comes up in the interview that right now the world as we buy into or the world exists is so fear-filled. That's because the people in that world don't know who they are. Their spirit is being eaten upon. Their collective individual, their individual collective spirit is being fed upon. It is the energy that runs the authoritarian system. Yeah, Weezy, what's up? We're here. We um, finally got our interview together um, with one of our sponsors, one of the head of the Rosebud Economic Development Corporation. But we're going to tap into, you know, a lot of subjects, talk about world news, national news, tribal news. Um, Weezy's former, you know, his hip hop career in college, you know, <laughs> non career. <laughs> yeah. So um, how's work? How's Redco? You know, how's things going on the out in Rosebud right now. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, always a, a pleasure. Happy to uh, always share our story, and, and, and it's good to sit down with you. It's awesome to see what you, you're doing and your uh, personal capacity with, with Bad Face Media and everything. So, yeah, just thanks for having us. Um, how's everything going at Redco? We're, uh, we're continuing to move forward. I always tell everyone nothing happens as quick as you want it to but but all the arrows are, are pointing in the right direction everything's pointing upward um we're, we're just finishing up our annual uh our 2017 uh, annual report um and uh you know we're, we're record revenue record profit record dividend to the tribe um we're gonna have another record year this year when, when we finish up uh, at the end of september um we just hit uh, last month the 57 employee mark, um, continuing to, to grow and add employees. So, uh, you know, everything's good, and, and we have some exciting uh, other developments that, that we have in the work for next year. 
what, what you know, when people think of an economic development corporation on a reservation, you know, I come from Pine Ridge and we don't have a whole lot of, you know, emerging businesses or, you know, there's some, but it's not a whole lot involved with the tribe. But what is it that that Redco does in Rosebud? You know, what is it that makes you guys successful? You know, what is the, what, you know, what's the end goal? So, so, so Redco, we're corporation 100% owned by the tribe, but we're separately chartered and we have a, a separate board of directors um, who I answer to. And so we have all the, the powers of a tribal corporation, but, but we get to actually run like a, a real corporation. And so we have uh, a, you know, a real separation of, of, uh, of, of powers so that you know, when we make decisions, we're able to make business decisions and not political decisions. That, that's a huge, huge distinction. Um, so that the politics stays out of the, the management, the day-to-day operations of the business, and we're able to uh, think longer term um, and more strategic. So, so that's, that's probably the, the biggest uh, kind of single factor that, that I think that allows for, for our success. Um, you know, what, what kind of, you know, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what is it, like you guys talk about owning businesses. I know you guys own a propane shop. Um, I know you guys sometimes recruit business owners to come to the community. You know, what, what kind of businesses do does Redcode operate and how does that work with the tribe? So, so we, we do, our purpose is to generate revenue for the tribe to, to promote economic development. So we do that in, in four ways. First and foremost, uh, we're a holding management and development company. So we own 14 subsidiary businesses that, that we, we're the owners of. Um, and, and we run and operate those businesses and, and we're constantly on the hunt for new ventures and new opportunities. Um, we have community development projects that are uh, really grant funded not, uh, and, and they're not for profit activities. Um, we have uh, policy work that, that we're pursuing. So we engage at, at the policy level, both at the tribe and at the federal level. Um, and then uh, we're adding, uh, you know, talent is, is the fourth thing. You know, that's workforce development and developing leaders for, for not only for Redco, but for our tribe. On the business side, um, that's where most of our, our, our focus and activity has been for the last several years. Um, and we, we separate the businesses into to two, two main ones. Um, there are those that are on the reservation um, that are really about creating jobs and opportunity for people um, and, and you know, providing good quality services at an affordable price. And, and so it's about helping people locally, providing opportunity, um, breaking up local monopolies, um, and, and providing and, and turning the dollars over locally. Then we have a lot of business activity that we do off the reservation. And, and I tell people that we're um, good capitalists in that sense because all of our off-reservation activity is, is, is very profit-oriented. Um, and so, so, you know, for when we start a business or we have an activity that we're doing, we, from a business perspective, we, 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 we have different metrics, right? So if we're employing a lot of people, but we're, you know, on the reservation, but we're not turning a, 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 an amazing profit, that's okay because we're contributing. If we're doing business off the reservation and we're not highly profitable, well, we need to, to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we try to be very conscious about 
what our goals and intents are and what the metrics of, of success are going to be. When you, you know, just to touch on something you said, what, what do you mean when there's like a reservation monopoly on a business? So I'll give you a great example. Um, we uh, started Sichangu Propane, which is our, our propane business. And, uh, you know, the tribe, like other tribes, has uh, LIAP, Low Income Housing Energy Assistance Program. They're spending you know, anywhere from a, a half a million to over a million dollars a year on energy assistance to, to help uh, people that are in need, you know, grandmas and uh, elderly and, and just folks that, that have a, a tough time heating or, or cooling their home. The primary uh, uh, beneficiary from, from, from the program and, and just local locally was Ampride and they had, they, they had a monopoly so they could charge whatever they wanted for propane um, they had policies that, that were not friendly to people in terms of minimum order minimum gallons uh, when they delivered um, and uh, you know so, so they got to do whatever they want when we started the business uh, you know, we, we you know, were able to bring the tribe on as a primary customer, um, work with them, and then pass a lot of those savings on to, to, to the rest of the tribe and, and just other customers. Um, so we lowered our minimum order. Uh, you know, we went from delivering in communities once, you know, hitting one, each community once per week to twice per week last mm -hmm. year. Um, and we created five jobs in the process, you know, jobs that, that literally didn't exist before. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, we broke up that monopoly and, and now went with our competitors, um, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly competing with one another to, to provide the, the, the lowest price and, and the best efficiency. Um, you know, so in that sense, everyone gains and it makes, uh, you know, just improves the overall quality of service. You know, that's one of the things that are good about when you have a reservation, a business run by someone from the community, you know, you look at one of those things like, a minimum order on propane well off the reservation you know a lot of people have expendable cash you know there's there's money to spend you know pay more on their heating bill or whatever but you know you know some of our listeners are not from the reservation you know and in the winter time we have community members who will run out of propane but they'll have a company that'll charge you know 150 bucks you know 250 bucks as a minimum order and a lot of our people don't necessarily have that kind of money just laying around to spend on, you know, to spend to keep themselves warm. You know, they got to feed their kids, they got to get gas to travel, all these different things. And so businesses on a reservation kind of face some unique challenges that other people don't understand unless they've been in the community. When you were talking about Redco, you know, how, you know, the temptation, I guess, you know, if the tribe wants to, to run their own propane business, it seems like there would be a temptation to go to tribal council and be like, can you pass some friendly laws to help our business advance forward and push out the competition? You know, I, and I feel like when I see that in, in my own community or in, you know, past administrations, that'd be something that could potentially happen to where the tribe wants to say, okay, well, why would we even mess with competition? We'll take all the profit. Why, why? Do you guys think you know when I guess I guess why is Ampride still a competitor and why are there competitors and is there ever a temptation to do something like that or why would it be good to have multiple companies I guess you know just for the the, the listeners who, who don't necessarily understand reservation economies 
So, um, you know, why, why don't we just create our own monopoly? <laughs> sure. I mean, I think yeah. that, and I think that notion is a temptation for tribes. You know, we say, okay, we want to nationalize this, or, you know, we want to take in all the profit from this. Why is it important to have private businesses also in addition to tribally owned? I always, uh, I always, one of the things we always say is, is competition is, is great as long as you're the best. Um, you know, but if you, if you don't have competition, then you start to become slack. Um, you know, and, and it, let's also be honest that, that, you know, when you talk about nationalizing a business or a service, um, you know, there's stuff that, that we, we, sh- we should have no business being, you know, being in, in a part of or, or, or competing, you know. Um, one of the examples is, you know, when I, when I first started, we, we had a, an, a, 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 an auto shop. Sichangu uh, Auto, and we we did tires and and uh, you know brakes and sold auto parts and whatnot. Um, but you know what, man? You you go to the res and you know everyone's a shade tree mechanic. You know why are we competing with those people? Why are we competing with those guys? Um, so we took the facility and we leased it out to um, one of our competitors. We brought him in and said, hey, um, you lease the facility, uh, you know. We, we have a, a, a really nice lease with them and you know in the process we we uh, are, are you know we're using our advantage being a, a tribally owned corporation but we're given the opportunity to to two individual entrepreneurs hmm. um, and they're able to you know quite frankly run it you know better than us sure um, and that's good you know we, we don't want to compete with them um, you know so it really needs there, there's areas where the tribe should you know, really, you know, be in business and it makes a lot of sense. And then there's areas that, you know, why are we going to compete with, with local folks? So, and, and so Redco there, when, when you look at your website, you're, you're, you're the economic development arm of the Rose, of the Rosebud Sioux tribe. And so when you say that and you're separate, you know, for some tribal governments that, that the, the problem is, is that, you know, we have council members who will sit on an economic development committee and, you know, just by the nature of their position, you know, their decisions are politically influenced. Whereas you guys, you know, the tribe has said, okay, we're going to turn over our economic development to people who know what they're doing, people with the background. Do you think, do you think that's a model that other tribes should follow? You think economic development should be separated from the politics altogether? In my opinion, it has to. I mean, you, <coughs> you have to be able to make uh, uh, business decisions. Um, you know, I, I tell people that, that, um, you know all the stuff that we're doing. Um, it, it's it's not it's not new ideas, and I'm not even good at really good at anything I do. I'm just really stubborn, and I've been able to to be there to start a project and then fulfill you know see it to through to completion. So um, you know the 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 cycles of business on one hand are are uh, much quicker in the sense that you have to be able to. Uh, move very quickly and make decisions um, without any kind of political bureaucracy to, to, to go through. At the same time, you also have to be you know, strategic and long-term in your thinking and, and be able to you know, plan you know, multiple years out, five, ten years out. I mean, we, we have a 25-year strategy that we're, we're implementing and developing a, what we're calling our seven-generation strategy. You know, which is going to be at, at a minimum 175 years out. Hmm. So that's a little bit, you know, we, we have the luxury to think like that as opposed to, you know, 
hey, you know, two or three year council terms, um, you know, how, how, what do I need to do to get votes? It's just a, it's just a different kind of priority. Sure. You know, and I'd always looked at, you know, people are looking to reform tribal constitutions and everything. And I've always said, you know, two years isn't enough for a council person to really accomplish anything. They get in, they learn the job, they get a little bit of training. And by the time they get something implemented, it's already time to start campaigning again. So whatever political will they had to push a certain issue, it's gone by the time it really, you know, gets to a point where, where it's going to develop and, you know, become policy that actually helps people. I know that you kind of get into some, you're, you're big on world politics and you're big on national politics. And we were talking about a couple of things. We were talking about Putin and Trump, you know, it's just talking about, you know, immigration stuff, you know. The indigenous voice, the, you know, the, the native voice is largely absent from these conversations. And when you think about, you know, the way that, that you know, we carry ourselves as, as, as sovereign nations, as, you know, international equals, it seems like there should be a place for us to talk. And why, why shouldn't, you know, the Bad Face Consulting podcast be a place where we can have them conversations? So, you know, what, what, what is your, your view on what's going on down at the border on separating children on you know taking indigenous people and, and saying okay you know this border that we created between Mexico and the United States that came far after you know the establishment of, of tribal nations in the area is taking precedent you know how what do you feel about all that yeah I mean, the, whole, the, the whole I mean in, in you know we make up you know one two percent of the, the US population so just kind of from a from a voice and media equity standpoint at a minimum you know i think that the you know at least one you know one to two percent of all the national tv hosts and guests you know should be indian they should be indigenous um you know when you look at, at what gets covered in the news um and who's covering it you know we just need more more attention to uh you know native to, to indigenous issues this kind of period and when we talk about the, you know, the border, um, you know, we've been talking about immigration since uh, Columbus landed mm. our people. And, um, you know, if you, if you were to, to talk to, you know, people, you know, like from, say, you know, Donna Atham down there, um, you know, the, and the border, they say, you know, the, the border crossed us. You know, we never crossed the border. We got our, our, our people are literally living on both sides of the border. And, and so this is something that didn't exist, and, and to us it's artificial. Um, I also think it's really important that, that our voice and, and, and our perspective is uh, included from, from a national, nationally, because you know, we're the only group of people that, that can say that we've been here since time immemorial. Everyone else is an immigrant. Um, and, and so uh, there's a certain kind of moral authority that we have and that we can speak to. That, that no other group can can provide um, not to just you know mention our experience I mean it, it wasn't that long ago that uh, you know our, our grandmothers and our grandfathers were, were being you know ripped from their homes and placed in boarding schools you know my grandma you know she was forcibly removed from her home put in a boarding school you know locked in closets starved uh, beaten um, you know, the, the exact kind of experience that, that some of these, these uh, you know, children are, are, who, are, who are locked up or have been locked up have experienced. So um, we have experience with this. I mean, we know what it's like. It, and yeah, that's a crazy correlation when you think about it because, you know, we're, you know, two, sometimes one generation removed 
from government policies, you know, you know that that did these things. And even like the you know forced sterilization of our women, you know the the you know um, relocation policies, termination policies. All these things are you know one or two generations removed from us now, and so that trauma of of feeling the full weight of the of you know federal government against us. I mean, I guess even when you look at like Keystone XL and um, the no dapple stuff that's still happening today, that we're really one of the few people that could relate to what's happening with these young people there, at least on a you know even on a spiritual or or you know a cognitive level or you know a, a shared trauma experience type thing and and it's just crazy and, I, and when you're talking about you know one of the things you're saying we're the only ones that that can speak from a position of, of actually being indigenous to the land that's absolutely true you know they talk about the Bering Strait theory oh and everybody was an immigrant here and, and what we're starting to see you know from the scientific evidence is that there were probably people here long before the Bering Street, there there was no reason for people to travel across this tiny ice corridor, you know, into colder environments to chase, you know, animals that were likely to, you know, overwhelm us in that situation. So, you know, I mean, you look at the Bering Strait theory, it, it's getting washed away, you know, the early Clovis Point stuff's getting washed away. There were people here, you know, prior to 10,000 years ago, you know, 15, 20,000 years ago, and it, it correlates to the stories that we have as a communities, you know, our, our oral stories have often been dismissed by Western science. And, and in reality, as, you know, emerging technology is starting to uncover a lot of the hidden truths in Western science, they're starting to realize that our people had a lot of things right, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's just strange, you know, it, it's funny that, that, that our people's voice is absent from these conversations, because, you know, it might be that we expose some of the, the truths and the mistruths about Western civilization, about this government, about, you know, anything, really anything in, in, in this society that has come to be dominant in this part of the world. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess. But, yeah, so, we, we, I remember you back in the day when you were playing for St. Francis. Like, I was, you know, when, what, what years did you play for St. Francis? See, uh, I graduated in 98, so it would have been 96, 97, 98, right around that time. So, see, I was young then. I remember going to Al and I, seeing you playing, you know, you had, like, the long hair. I'm like, yo, that's easy, you know, we, we've all, I, we've been family friends for a long time, and so she'd always point you out when we were playing and everything. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, you were older than me. We lost track of each other. Um, you went to Yale right after St. Francis? Yeah, I did my undergrad at Yale, yep. Went did his undergrad at Yale, and then... When I, you know, in, I guess it would have been 2003, I, you know, I went to Dartmouth and I came across you again, you know, you was on campus visiting some friends or whatever. Were you done with Yale then or was you on to your master's work then? Or I, I graduated in 2003. Okay. Uh, yep, graduated in 2003 and then uh, from there went on to uh, Washington, D.C. and was there for a couple years and then uh, went on to law school after that, University of Arizona. So now, now you what's your law your law degree is it federal Indian law is that what it was or you know just a law degree is a JD juris doctorate is is kind of general and then uh -huh. sometimes the uh, law schools will provide a, a, a certificate is what it's called uh -huh. in certain kinds kinds of areas um, you know but uh, you know you you got a core group of classes that you have to to take and then uh, after that you can kind of pursue your interests but uh, you know I, I went to University of Arizona. Um, 
because uh, they got Rob Williams, you know, who's, right. in my opinion, um, you know, the, the greatest, greatest uh, living legal scholar right now. Um, you know, he, he inherited a, kind of Vines post and, you know, there, there's some, I think that there's some folks that are going to inherit that from, from, uh, from Rob, but, uh, I mean, he literally wrote the, the, the book on Indian law. It's funny that, you know, you get into academia and you start to meet all these personalities and these people that read these books. I was always a big fan, a big fan of, um, Taiaki Alfred. And he wrote Peace, Power, and Righteousness, you know, and I was a freshman in college when I read Peace, Power, and Righteousness. He's all like, you know, we need to completely decolonize, you know, we need to separate, we need to go, you know, get rid of anything, Western institutions. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, man, let's, let's do this. Let's go, you know, let's decolonize everything. And then you get into like the, the actual workings of everything and you can't really completely decolonize everything. We can take things, reshape them, own them for ourselves. But that 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 drastic, you know, radical, just completely separate, throw it all away is, I don't know if it's tenable anymore. So, you know, as I got older, you know, I started this, like the Native Governance Center, you know, some of their people start influencing me, Dale Turner, you know, there's a lot of really cool authors out there that, that write about Indian stuff. So, you know, young people out there listening, get, get, your, get your reading game up. You know, there's a lot of cool things out there to, that talk about our communities. I don't know, who's, who's some of your favorites? You know, talking about... Uh... Uh, famous scholar. So, one of the coolest things that ever happened to me is um, uh, my my fresh second semester, freshman year of college, and I get this email, and it's from uh, uh, Vine Spot at something, and uh, it was Vine Deloria. He emailed me out of the blue, and uh, he said, "I talked to your mother. Uh, you made it to your second semester. I trust that you're gonna do okay." Good luck. And wow. I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. And I'm like showing the email to like my, 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 my white roommate. And I'm like showing him the book. And I'm like, he emailed me. You know, I thought it was like the <laughs> coolest thing in the world. And, and, but it was awesome because, you know, you know, he met my mom somewhere. And she, she said, you know, one of, he's one of his heroes. And, you know, so he, he literally took the time to type an email out and send it to me. And, and it was just a great encouragement. But we talk about like sovereignty and like decolonization. I remember in law school, I, I went to and sat down with um, Rob Williams and, and, you know, had to say the same thing about, you know, we got to decolonize, etc. And uh, so he's like, okay, well, well what do you want to do? He's like, uh, do you want to take over the mail delivery system? Huh. He's like, I think the U.S. Postal Service does a, does a pretty good job and, and I don't think we should spend a lot of time on, you know, taking over and, the, you know, working the logistics of the mail delivery system. However, taxes, you know, is, is something that's really important and we as tribes really need to, to focus on asserting our sovereignty and taxes. So, um, when you get into to the nuts and bolts of all this, it's like, where, where are we going to report, what are we going to focus on, what are our priorities going to be? Um, and I think that there's probably some commonalities between different tribes, tribal nations. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's also a very specific kind of conversation that needs to happen at, at community levels. Um, so when I look at the community levels about asserting sovereignty, you know, I've, I've, you know, I'm of the belief that if you don't exercise your sovereignty, it atrophies. You know, it starts to fade back and everything. So in my columns for a long time, I've been like, why don't we push the agenda and say, okay, we're going to legalize marijuana? You know, that's a topic that's a, you know, that's a, 
one that's going to get voters to the polls right now. That's a, a conversation in the media. Why, as Redco, Redco would be a perfect position to talk about this. Why wouldn't we, as a tribal government, say, okay, we're gonna so we're gonna pass a law saying that we're gonna decriminalize marijuana. You know, we're gonna use it as to burst economic stuff. And for people who don't realize that um, the most recent farm bill included an exemption for tribes that they'd be allowed to, they'd be allowed to research or, or develop marijuana in much in the same way as universities do. Um, the Cole Memorandum that came out during uh, Eric Holder's um, under Eric Holder's Justice Department said that tribes would be allowed to pursue marijuana ventures in the way that states have, and the feds would keep their hands out of it. But as we've seen with Flandreau and, you know, and with Marty Jackley's pursuit of that operation, there is some overlap. You know, states want to hold on to whatever rights they think they have or, or and, you know, enforce whatever laws they feel are important. But why wouldn't someone like Rosebud or why wouldn't someone like Pine Ridge push the envelope on a topic like this? I, I, I think... First and foremost, any decision we make should be a conscious decision. So the so that you know whatever tribal community should have that discussion and say, do we want to do this or not? And you know if they do, then they should you know whatever it is, then pursue it. Or else, if they don't want to do it, then that's a conscious decision. The thing that that really makes me sad is is when we bring in a, an opportunity or we we talk about something. And then no decisions made, because that no decision is is a decision, but it's not a conscious act, mm -hmm. and and it's 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 not us pursuing the the future that we want to pursue. Um, I think another principle is, is you know assert sovereignty you know all the time everywhere. Sure. Um, and and so you know again you you talk about uh, you know marijuana. Um, you know, I think probably from a, a policy standpoint, um, the United States is moving in that direction. From a social perspective, um, you know, is there a big difference between alcohol and marijuana? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm one of the people that argue that alcohol is far more dangerous. So if you look at the statistics, and it shows that so many more deaths are caused by, you know, alcohol-related accidents. You look at our communities, the high, high rates of fetal alcohol syndrome, the high rates of um, addiction to alcohol, and then you look at, you know, the, the, the stats that connect to marijuana, you know, it's it's not as addictive. Um, in, in places where there's been high uses of opiates or there's been high meth use or there's been high alcohol uses in states where that marijuana has been legalized, all of those, those, you know, extra addictions that people had have all declined because there's been something safer that they can go to a pharmacy for, or they can go for a store, and it's widely regulated. I think one of the difficulties for tribes when they look at marijuana legalization is that it couldn't be decriminalization. You know, tribes couldn't be like, we're going to decriminalize. It's just, you know, you get people can have it. It's not illegal. We're not going to regulate it. That's the worst way to do it because you keep the black market still involved. You know, there's no safety protections for consumers. There's no warning labels for children. But if a tribe says, okay, well, we're going to do full legalization to where, you know, we're going to tax 2% on it. You know, companies coming in have to pay so much money to even get a license to do it. Um, we get to regulate the amount that's produced. We know what it's grown here. We know what we produce. We know what's coming in from the outside places. Those options might be too big of an undertaking for some tribes at this point too, you know, and, and so can we do something like this safely to where, you know, we're not going to increase youth rates, you know, use of youth rates. We're not going to 
increase, you know, the export of it into places like Rapid City or whatever. I don't know if, if we're actually ready for something like that. And so when you have a place like Redco that can can actually say, okay, look, we're not ready for this. We need this. You know, we should go here. I think that's why you guys are so important, why you're thriving in, in, in your community. You know, um, we've been asked to, to, to take a look at it. And, um, at, you know, and basically our assessment was that the, uh, the, 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 the legal kind of political risks were, were just too great at this time. Mm -hmm. What I do think and what we have kind of taken a hard look at is uh, hemp is something that is just a no-brainer. Sure. It is an absolute no-brainer. It's a miracle plant. You can do so much with it. Um, and the, the risk from a, from a legal and political standpoint is, is just so much lower. Um, but again, I, I really think that all these communities, every tribe needs to really, it, whatever they decide needs to be conscious, you know, and not a default decision. Because I think we've, we've just lived with default for, for so long that um, it, it makes for, for a kind of a collective atrophy where, where, where we don't take our own destiny into our own hands. Yeah, and I think that part of that comes back to, you know, do people have faith in your tribal government? You know, do you believe that tribal government is actually the way to go? And, and people have that debate within themselves because you look at Pine Ridge a few years ago, they had a... They had a vote to see if they wanted to legalize alcohol sales. Pioneer has been a dry reservation for a long time. Um, the community voted in the affirmative, but there was a turnover in administration, and nothing came of this massive, expensive reservation-wide vote. That so the people, you know, are like, you know, why should I vote? Why should I invest myself in my tribal government if there isn't going to be conscious actions taken after I contribute to it? And I think it's important for tribal leaders to look at and say, look, we actually have to have deliverables to the people. It can't be constant infighting. It can't be spinning our wheels. There needs to be something that allows for the next generation to believe that our tribal government, our nations can actually deliver on a lot of the, you know, the promises that they make and a lot of the rights that being a nation brings with it. So it's just an interesting debate. Yeah, it is, man. And it's, it's funny to, to see, uh, you know, the United States and, you know, kind of go through this as well as, you know, uh, you know, you had a majority of Americans who, who you know, voted for, for Hillary Clinton, yet because of the, the, the way the system set up, Donald Trump won. And, uh, you know, now, now look at where we're at and where we're going right now. And we're, we're kind of in a bad place as, as, as the United States. And, of course, we, you know, we as Indians have to deal with all of this stuff that, that happens. Um, but this idea of like trust in your government, you know, talk, it's funny, you, you talk about college and, you know, taking me back to those days. Um, my, my senior thesis at Yale was, was looking at what a modern form of Lakota government should look like. That was my, my thesis. And after, you know, I went through all the research, I basically came to the conclusion that, that there are multiple forms that the government can take, but that what's most important is the values of the people that are, are placed in, in positions of leadership. Um, and that, that we got to get back to the, to the values piece of things. And, you know, when you look at, at the traditional way the leaders were selected, it was, it was truly a meritocracy, you mm -hmm. know. 
from a young age you were you were trained to hunt you were trained to be a protector from a boy's standpoint uh, from, and you were taught to be generous and to to be brave and to look out for 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 your 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 camp and your tribe and then based on that if you exhibited you know strong uh, uh, aptitude and, and, and exhibited values then you might get put into a society and you know if you were if you worked your way up through the society then you might be placed into you know a leadership position and there were young men's societies and as you grew older you know eventually you, you know you might get into you know as a, as a you know 30 year old 25 year old into like Kokala you know kind of one of these elite ones and then as an older man, you you know, maybe into like a Braveheart Society or something like that. Um, and then that's that's where the leadership was pulled. And and these these people were they they were they exhibited high mastery of skill, you know. Um, when you think of, of like scouts, you know, like Crazy Horse, he was a scout. You know, the guy was, was supposed to be able to walk without being seen. Um, he spent thousands of hours learning how to hunt and track. Um, and, and he was he was the best at what he did, and that kind of I that kind of dedication to being you know the best at whatever you do, then translates into leadership. You know, same thing with like Sitting Bull and a lot of these guys. So this idea of, of pursuing excellence and trying to be the best at what, and, and to to live up and put your heart into everything, um, combined with having you know values of generosity and putting people before you, etc. Um, that's what created awesome leaders. And so that we, you know, we, we got to get back to that. We got to figure out how we're going to um, come together and, and push and, and put people like that into leadership. And I think that if we do that, those the people like that are, I think, are naturally results-oriented. You know, they're, they're not going to settle for mediocrity. You know, they're going to, you know, all the, all the modern stuff that we talk about, you know, timelines and effective budget management. I mean, all of that stuff, um, that's just how we operate today and you know that that stuff is all applicable you know we we had to manage our resources back in the day you know we, we had a certain amount of dried meat that had to last us for the year well you know you're gonna share with those who need it so that you know if, if one goes hungry we all go hungry but you know you're not gonna waste it um, so again you know it, all this these kinds of skills are all applicable today we just got to figure out how we're gonna come together and, and re-engage and um, be active, you know, active in shaping our future. What about for, for you personally? What's the, what's, what's kind of your goals in the coming up in the future? You know, what, what are you trying to get into in, in your private life, I guess, or in your personal life? So, um, I, I always kind of say I have four things that, that I, four jobs, uh, you know, first and foremost is, is the prayer side of things. Um, you know, you, as you, as you participate in the, the kind of the, the more traditional ceremonial life, and uh, sometimes uh, responsi responsibilities get put on you, you know, so so Sundance and helping with those kinds of activities, um, you know, is 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 there, and and you know that has to come first. Um, and that can be a full time job, uh, you know, sometimes. Um, not far behind, you know, right there, tied to it is, is being a, a good relative, you know, being a good husband, good, being a good father and son, um, or trying to be. Um, so that, that's, that's, you know, always there. You know, I got three boys now and um, 
know how I'm you know five three and two months <laughs> so so i gotta I gotta raise them and, and figure out how I'm gonna try to you know make the best future possible for them and, and you know be a, be a good partner with my wife um you know and then there's uh you know my day job you know that's that's the being the CEO at Redco and making sure that, that I'm doing what I need to to uh, you know, help move that that organization you know forward on behalf of the tribe, and then there there's this all this other stuff that 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 is about you know kind of community leadership or, or community involvement and engagement, and um, you know there's uh, you know things that I want to do, things that I've been asked to do, things that, that we want to pursue. Um, you know, one is uh, you know we're getting ready to launch uh, in our personal capacity, my wife and I. Um, uh, and you know that's children first and, and we want to begin focusing create an organization to focus on um, early childhood education you know let, let's we talk about immersion schools we talk about teaching the culture um, well let's stop talking about it and let's just do it Sure, and this is a tribal, uh, like a like a non-profit you guys are starting? Yeah, yeah that's a non-profit we're going to start um, and you know the the or you know we'd like to to you know at some point be able to focus on you know preconception you know all the way through college but you know to start you know we'd like love to just get kids uh you know young kids you know before kindergarten um into a, a structured environment that encourages you know language and culture and creativity um you know and to help provide a really strong you know, base for those kids and to help, you know, families to, to be able to provide that strong base at home. I can see it growing into a, uh, a private school someday. Sure. You know, definitely, I think we do that. would love to, to see it grow into an immersion program, immersion school. Um, you know, but let's, let's start here. Let's start with something that we can do and, and make that happen. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, I've been asked by, uh, it's always funny, you get asked by some of the Indians, but must be really serious when you get asked by some of the non-Indians <laughs> yeah. to kind of re-engage in, in, in politics a little bit. Um, you know, a big part of my, my career was, you know, working for, uh, working in the U.S. Senate for Tom Daschle and then Obama campaign and the Obama administration. Um, you know, so, so policy, politics um, has, has always, you know, been something that, that I've been engaged and interested in. But I've, I've kind of really fallen off the last six years, you know, since I moved home, and I haven't really engaged in, you know, much on that, that level, but, um, what, what I see, you know, a tremendous need for, especially in the state of South Dakota, is, is we have to provide, uh, the, the platform to run effective campaigns, and then to provide the, the support network to develop, uh, strong candidates, you know, uh, it's it's important to develop strong non-Indian candidates, but I think that we really need to, uh, you know, find ways to help uplift and in, uh, in our Indian candidates because there's 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 more of them. Um, a lot of them are are super qualified, but if you don't have that background and that kind of backing, um, it can be really difficult. So we're gonna be be doing some exploration and ways to. You know, boost the the Indian uh, voter turnout, 
and then provide the framework so that we can start developing, you know, Indian candidates to run for office, you know. Um, you know, not just, you know, statewide, but, you know, we got to have a, an Indian mayor of Rapid City at some point, sure. um, you know, in other areas. So, so we, I want to find a way to do that. I don't know, we're, we're, I don't know quite how, but, but I, I really want to, you know, and I'm not talking this election. This is a, a multi-year project sure. that we're going to have to do to, to get more Indian candidates, uh, you know, out there to look out for, you know, not only the best interests of, of, of our communities, but, you know, <laughs> we, we have something to offer to the rest of the world. Absolutely. And then you look at, yeah, and it's definitely did here because you look at places like Kansas, you know, Sharice Davis is down there running. Bernie was down there campaigning for her. Um, there, um, against her? He wasn't campaigning against her. You can, we can just cut it up. He, he was like, I thought he had a thing that came in and said he was supporting her the other day. No? Huh? Oh, yeah, you can say, I'll just cut it out. It's not a big deal. Well, I guess you got, but you got, you got, well, I guess let's cut that out. You got Sharice Davids running down in Kansas and she's getting, you know, not, she's getting media run. She's getting support from people. Um, you got Paulette Jordan out in Idaho. You know, she had, she's, you know, running strong out there. She's running as a very popular governor, but it seems like she does have a, she has a chance, I guess, a popular governor amongst, you know, sportsmen and <laughs> hunters, you know, people of that nature. But yeah, I mean, and even Kevin Killer, you know, Kevin Killer has been successful in this state. He's risen to a certain position to where his voice is, but he's leaving. You know, so there is a need for our community members. What about you? Would you run anytime soon? I ever ever thought about, you know, maybe running for governor or, you know, running for attorney general, something like that? You no, know, people have talked about that, um, you know, and, and I would never necessarily rule it out, but... My big thing is, is I want to have the biggest lever for change. That's, sure. that's really the only thing that I care about. So, you know, I think the, the big question, if I, were, if I were ever to do anything like that, would be, is this, a big enough, is this the right lever for me to, to try to create change with? And I think in my current job right now, um, I, I, I'm in a really good place. There's some things that I want to accomplish and finish. Um, you know, but again, I don't want to pursue things just for myself. I want to create platforms that we can, you know, launch people from. You sure. Know, that there's some really smart, talented people out there. So let's try to empower them, you know, so that they can, you know, move into those kinds of, you know, positions and, and, and be our voice. Um, sure. Because, again, you know, there ain't no one person that can do it, do it themselves. You know, it's got to take teams of people to make this stuff happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's why we're here, too. You know, Bad Face Consulting is here doing, you know, we, we do, you know, we do political campaigns, we do communication works for tribes, we do policy development, and it's all based off that same notion that we have a lot of talented people, we have a lot of great stories that are just not being exposed, and it takes professionals to be able to do it. You know, it, it's you can't just hire, you know, someone off the street to come in and hit share on the tribe's official you know, communications page or, you know, it takes, it takes a team and it takes finding the right people. And it's important in Indian country that we start to establish our own networks to, to help us do these things. But, um, wrapping it up here with, with Wheezy, um, it was a great conversation. Um, you get a chance to go over to our sponsors page, check out Redco's page at www.redco.com. It is a Sichangucorp.com, one of our main sponsors. So go over there and have them a look. Um, anything you else want to add, Wheezy? 
You know, um, kind of just one one last thing. You know, in terms of you know thinking about what we we're gonna look forward to. You know, next year through through Redco is we're we're separating um, our community development work off, and we're creating a separate CDC Community Development Corporation. So there's gonna be uh, and, and we've already uh, created um, a CDFI, which is the Tatanka Fund. So you're gonna have the Tatanka Fund as a CDFI. Redco is the tribal corporation, and then Sichangu CDC as the nonprofit. All three organizations working together, each with a very specific kind of function. They're trying to create that that larger eco ecosystem for for comprehensive economic development on on Rosebud. Yes, sir, you out there, you want to see how to build economies on a reservation? Look at SichanguCorp.com. Give them a call. Shoot them an email. You have a talent you can offer them, you have an idea for them, you know, hit them up. Um, next episode will be with Prolific the Rapper. We're going to bring on his brand new album, Never Heard Before. Get some chit-chat with him. I grew up with him in Pine Ridge. Not very many people know that, but we'll talk to you real soon. Have a good one. Shout out to our sponsors, Native Hope, a nonprofit organization working in Native communities throughout the United States. With offices in Chamberlain, South Dakota and Santa Fe, New Mexico, they believe in bringing hope and healing through the power of storytelling. In their mobile production van, the Native Hope Media team visits reservations, pueblos, and other Native communities in both rural and urban areas to document authentic stories. They are represented by a group of Native and non-Native Americans who are dedicated to empowering Native youth on and off the reservation, inspiring them to have a voice, take positive action, and become strong leaders for their tribes. To find out more about Native Hope, go to their website at nativehope.com.